Actions, Responses to Trafficking, the podcast that shines a spotlight on new and established trafficking responses in the UK and beyond. Hello and welcome back to Actions, the Responses to Trafficking podcast. I'm Catherine Baldacchino and this is a podcast where I speak to people who are working in different ways to respond to trafficking in order to help share their work with other people who are also working in the field. Today, I've spoken to Richard Cribb and Carol Chick, both from Kindled Spirit. Richard is the founder and managing trustee, and Carol is the secretary of the NGO. We speak about their work to support an organization called Shamata in Mumbai to deliver a program to provide longer-term support to women who have left exploitation. We spoke in March 2021. Thanks for downloading this episode, and please get in touch with any feedback or further questions via At Actions Podcast on Twitter. Welcome back to Actions. Today, I'm speaking with Richard Cribb and Carol Chick, both from Kindled Spirits. Richard is the founder and managing trustee, and Carol is the secretary of the NGO. Welcome, Richard and Carol. It's great to be speaking to you both today. Good morning, and good morning, and thank you very much for having us on your podcast. Very good to have you. Thank you for making the time. Um, As a starter, it would be great to hear more about yourselves, where you're based and your backgrounds. Can you introduce yourselves? Yeah, so... uh, as you said, my name is Richard Cribb. I'm the founder and managing trustee of Kindle Spirit. Uh, my background is is just one like many other people. I've worked in the corporate world for, for many years. And uh, it was through that uh, uh, experience that actually led to, to this journey, which we'll talk more about later today. Um, I'm Carol Chick, yes. And I've worked um, predominantly in a school, um, primary school office for 20 odd years um, and now I work for the accounts department of the corporate as well. Thank you um, and so you both uh, work for Kindled Spirit or, or involved with Kindled Spirit for those less familiar with the organization can you provide a quick introduction to what it is? Yeah sure so Kindled Spirit is basically uh, an anti-human trafficking organization primarily to financially support and provide advice to uh, like-minded organizations around the world. And um, our focus right now is India. And uh, there is quite an interesting story as to how Kindle Spirit was was founded. Like I said earlier, I used to work in in the corporate world and I used to work for an organization called National Grid, which many people will know, of course. And um, I used to manage their strategic IT relationships in India. In that time, we actually set up a a corporate social responsibility initiative at National Grid to support underprivileged children, the education of underprivileged children in India, working with our Indian IT companies. And it was through that process that I learned an awful lot about India, its complex social infrastructure, etc., um, and little did I know that the lessons that I learned setting up that CSR initiative would put me in very good stead uh, for what was to come. I left National Grid in 2011 and um, after a few months and a year or so, I started getting itchy feet. I felt I needed to be doing something. And um, so then I was looking for a cause to back. And in 2013, I was at a social event um, with a colleague of mine. And uh, we got talking to a group of people and we were talking about India and how much I love the country, which I really do. It's the most wonderful place, very vibrant. The people are great. The food is great. There's nothing not to like, so to speak. And we were talking, as I said, we were talking about India. And one of the people we were talking to said to me, have you ever read the book, A Walk Across the Sun? 
And to be honest with you, I'd never heard of it. I'd never heard of the author, an American author called Corbin Addison. But I took note of it. And three weeks later, I was heading to India on business. So I took the copy of the book with me. And um, I spent three days uh, for a bit of relaxation in Goa. And over that period, I read the book. And I have to say, it chilled me to the bone. Uh, the subject matter of the book was about two sisters who were orphaned during the tsunami in 2004. And as a result of that, their so-called uncle decided to traffic them into uh, Mumbai and later on to, uh, to Paris. And it brought home to me the whole story about child trafficking in India. But trafficking as, as such, and as we all know, trafficking is a global issue. It's not just an India issue. Um, but nonetheless, it really got under my skin, this book. And that night before I left India, I flew back to Mumbai and I got talking to a very good friend of mine. And I just mentioned to him about the book. I mentioned to him about the fact that I was going to get back to the UK, set up a charity uh, all about anti-trafficking. At that point, that's all I knew. I had no idea how it was all going to function and, and all that sort of stuff. I just knew uh, I had to do something. I, it didn't sit mm. easy with me. And yeah. um, Praveen said to me, it's a very strange thing you say that, Richard. My cousin, uh, Bharti Tahiliani, who you'll hear about more in a minute, um, she set up her own anti-trafficking charity in Mumbai and is looking for people to raise funds for her. So it seemed to me like a marriage made in heaven. heaven. It's almost defined serendipity. Mm. So I got back on the plane, came home, met up with a number of people that worked with me on the CSR initiative at National Grid. We then set up the charity of Kindle Spirit and registered it with the Charity Commission. At that point, I decided to write to the person who told me about the book. And uh, so I wrote to her and told her that as a result of that one conversation, this charity now exists. And she said to me, would you mind if I told Corbin Addison? And I went, uh, I don't mind, but how are you going to do that? She said, well, I work for him. I work for his publisher. So it all has all come back round again. So she wrote to Corbin Addison, and within 24 hours, he wrote to me and said he was just blown away by the fact that as, some, as a result of someone reading his book, uh, the charity had been set up. And I told him about how we were going to hopefully partner with this organisation called Shamata, uh, but that was still to be done. So a few months later... I flew back to Mumbai and I met up with um, Barty, who had set Shamata up. And when you're in the company of Barty for just a few minutes, you realise the passion and the drive she has got mm. in the work that she does. And being from the corporate world, we carried out due diligence on Shamata to make sure everything is what it said it is, and it clearly was. And that's how the relationship began. It is a phenomenally exciting story. And here we are seven years later, still partnering with Shamata. That's brilliant. What an interesting story, an interesting journey of, of inception as well. Um, love it when things like that just sort of fall together and find their place. Um, so you're based physically in the UK, is that right? The organization and everything is based and registered within the UK, but you're supporting an NGO in India. Yes, that's right. We're based in Warwick in the UK um, and we basically support Shamata at the moment, but our charity is set up to support anywhere in the world, any NGO in the world. Um, but our trustees have decided that we want to focus on one area and do a good job, So, which is why we've stuck with 
Shamata for the moment, um, mm. and we probably will be for the next two or three years at least. Um, but you know, hopefully they will become self-sufficient. That is the goal, and then we will then be able to help somewhere else. So right, so it seems very sustainable fantastic. for sort of focusing all efforts Absolutely. and energies. It's at the moment it's raise funds, raise funds, get them to this next stage that they're looking at. Uh, the enterprise, which we'll talk about shortly, mm. um, and then they will be self-sufficient. And it really is an incredible thing to be part of. Really sounds like it. So focusing just for a minute on the UK, what are the activities that you do run from here then? Okay, so we have a number, we've had a number of fundraising um, initiatives, mostly or predominantly they've been charity dinners which have been attended by um, large corporates, Wipro, National Grid, um, Capgemini. Tartar Consultancy Services, you know, Tartar, big brand in India. All Mm -hmm. sorts of companies have come along and support, and lots of individuals as well. And that's been a good fundraising um, goal of ours. And then we've also had uh, people doing sponsored events, um, which has raised various amounts of money. We've been involved with James Ketchell. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. He's a global adventurer and he did a round the world trip on a gul- uh, gyrocopter and wow. he named the gyrocopter Kindled Spirit and raised funds for us as well. Okay. So we've had a number of ways of raising money, um, but it's also about raising awareness as well. So that's, the, that's our other aim as well, is just to raise awareness and try and get more and more people. So I do think it's a subject that so many people try and ignore. They try to brush it under the carpet and they don't believe mm. that it's as bad as, as it is. So I mean, for awareness a, is important. Yeah, so for, yeah. You know, an organ, so for a country that abolished slavery in 1832, uh, we find ourselves in the UK today with the largest number of slaves we've had in this country for well, 150, 200 years. So mm. you know, the problem hasn't gone away, even though yeah. we like to think it has. And obviously with the introduction of the Modern Slavery Act in 2015, um, clearly we have a major issue here in the UK too, as, as does the rest of the world. Mm, yeah, and really great to hear about the awareness raising work that complements the fundraising as well. Um, so we're going to specifically be talking about the program um, Enterprise 100. But before we do that, could we hear more about the organization that you support, the one that Bharti set up, Shamata? Um, could you provide a bit more of an introduction to the organization? Yes, of course. So um, Bharti set up Shamata in 2011. Um, prior to that, she used to work for IJM, which uh, I believe you interviewed somebody from IJ- IJM just the other day. So yep. it just goes to show that this uh, the world is um, a, a small place, if you like. So IJM, the International Justice Mission, um, based in Mumbai, in, in the context of what we're talking about, um, mm. Barty used to work for them. And um, she used to be one of those people that would actually go in to the brothels and rescue girls that had been trafficked there against their will. And after she rescued the same girl three times, she realised that the whole support model was broken uh, because what was happening, girls were being rescued, they were sent to government shelter homes, the government shelter homes would get full, so then the girls would get let out without any alternative means of earning money or without any other support, they just fall back into the hands of the traffickers and the cycle of abuse repeats. Mm. 
So she stepped away from IJM and set up her own organization, Shamata, with the sole purpose of creating a support and rehabilitation model, which would put the girls on the path to a solid recovery. The idea being that, as I've said, if they have no alternative means of earning money, then um, how can anything be different? So the idea being is, first of all, uh, you engage with the girl, then you put them through a process of uh, life skills training and vocational training. So effectively, you equip them to deal with the outside world. And then the idea is that they move into meaningful uh, employment as a result of their training and you empower them to uh, to live a successful and independent life. So it's known as the three-stage model. It is engage which is all about um, mentoring and um, counselling and making sure that um, the frustrations, the anger uh, that they feel at the time of being rescued, because clearly these girls have been through huge traumas. Uh, So there's this very caring approach to the start of the rehabilitation programme. It then moves on to the equipping, which is all about, as I say, vocational training and job readiness training, of which the social enterprise is now an integral part of that. We'll come back onto that later. And then the final bit is the empowering of self-sufficiency, moving into flat shares with other girls that have been through the same trauma so they can support each other. They can support each other. So um, that's it, essentially. It's this um, Mm. this three-stage model. And it's proved hugely successful um, over the years. And to date... You know, more than 850 girls have been through that process. And, you know, many of them gone on to lead wonderfully successful, uh, fulfilling lives. So that's how it all started. And Mm. for us, then, we were looking for someone to partner in Mumbai. And through that chance dinner in Mumbai back in um, 2013, this is how we came across Shamita. So... They were based, when we first met them, they were based in a small unit um, in the suburbs of Mumbai and and a very small building, a really one-storey one building, uh, which could accommodate roughly 10 girls. And with that, they had a kitchen and that was just about it. And, um, you know, there was an ambition to grow. And um, this is where we came in, in terms of helping Shama to set themselves up um, financially primarily because obviously they've got skills in terms of uh, looking after the girls and mentoring the girls um, whereas we can help in terms of the fundraising but they needed Mm. to know that there was going to be sufficient funds to enable them to expand otherwise you just get yourself into a terrible financial situation so over the first few years as carol said you know we were raising money through fundraising dinners we were able to build up enough uh, funds for Shamata to make the next step. So in 2018, they moved from a one-storey building to what is quite a substantial four-storey be- four, uh, building, again, in the suburbs of Mumbai. But this has absolutely opened up uh, opportunities for significantly more girls. And from that, they run their social enterprise initiative, which we'll touch on later. Um, and it is a step change that we couldn't have imagined back in 2014, but it's it's been a phenomenal step change. And therefore, the number of girls that have benefited 
yeah, has increased significantly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so interesting. And the journey of, of that organization as well is, is really fascinating. Can you, so you mentioned something about the experience of these uh, women when they first are um, taken out of these situations of exploitation. What is it like for, for people when they uh, first encounter the organisation? Well, when they first come to Shamerton, they've um, usually been into the government uh, care homes first. So most of the girls that come to Shamerton have been rescued and gone into government homes first. So they've had the initial month or so um, there. And then because the government homes get big, too full, sorry, um, the girls then move on to Shamata, which rather than being let out onto the streets, they can then give them support right through until they can self uh, be self-supported. Yeah, that really evidences just how important this longer-term support and aftercare is and that it needs to be as long and as necessary for each individual person, but then the potential for that is quite incredible once it's done properly and well. Absolutely, yeah. That, that's absolutely right. And so when we look at the three-stage model, the engage, equip, empower, there is no set time limit to that. At the end of the day, each girl is different. Each girl has their own needs. And um, so Shamita will put a time frame of something around 15 to 18 months it would typically take to go through that process. If it takes a little longer, then so be it. Uh, you know, And that's what is so good about it because even though it's a structured model, each of the parts is actually tailored for each particular girl. So they, they know exactly what the needs are. So they're able to um, absolutely home in on the specifics. And I think it's it's all of that that makes the model so successful. And as you quite rightly say, sustainable. Because at the end of the day, it's easy to chuck cash at a problem. But if you can actually make uh, the person uh, fend for themselves, become part of society, empowered to do a job that they want to do because that's what they've chosen to do then it's so much more worthwhile and of course they are then not a burden of society they become part of the the revenue earning society and they are empowered to be that individual person which is phenomenal and the support does go beyond the centre because once the girls move into their individual shared accommodation, like two or three of them may share a flat and, and be self financially self-sufficient, the support is still there underlying from Shamit. If they have any issues, problems, if they get worried about anything, they can always go back for support. So it is a very gradual tail off towards the end and the final stages rather than a sharp, that's it, you're on your own. So they never feel completely let, you know, let go of, so to speak. They, they consider Shamata as their family. That's yeah. right, because, as I say, just because obviously they're, they're real family, you know, because of the complex um, social structures in India, it's very rare for her girl that's been through that process, who's been trafficked, primarily into the commercial sex industry it's very rare for that girl to be able to go home for two reasons one because they probably don't even know where they came from because these girls are trafficked at quite an early age and therefore you know they they're not really sure that they may come from West Bengal which is you know a thousand or so miles away from from Mumbai but also there's the the old shame on the family scenario that you do get in India and um 
So therefore, they're not welcome home. So therefore, Mumbai is their final destination until they themselves pick themselves up in their self-sufficient world. And we have seen girls go off and move to other parts of India. And we have seen girls get married and start a family and, like we say, just become part of normal society, which is phenomenal. Yeah, no, I can see that. And I guess a reflection is that for so many different people, they're sort of end is going to be so different some people will need support for so much longer some people might not ever be able to completely um recover from the experiences that they've that they've had um so it's good to know that they can also tap back into the organization and continue to receive the support as and when is necessary um can i just ask a clarification about the age group of the women that are being supported are they Children, are they under 18 when they access the organisation or are they adult women when they access support? They're adult women because the laws in India dictate that. Um, that's not to say that... So Shamatuk does go into the into the care homes so they can actually start the process uh, with girls younger than 18, but the, right. the girls have to be in the uh, shelter home system until they are 18 because that's the, the legal requirement within in India. Okay, but by the time they then move into the safe house, they are adults. Yes, that's right. Yes, but the but as Richard said, the Shamata support model is what is taught within the residential um, centre, but also they reach out to the government homes, and that's why they've been able to reach out to so many girls because they're giving the counselling and the um, vocational training to the girls in the government homes as well. So they do reach out to support the girls in those other areas as well. It's just that the, the ones that are residential need to be 18. So the, um, the city of Mumbai is in the state of Maharashtra in, in India. And the Maharashtra state government regard Shamata as an NGO of choice to go into the care homes and actually start um, counselling and working with the girls to set them on the road to rehabilitation. And that, that came about about four years ago. And this, I think, just demonstrates the, um, how can I put it, the gravitas that um, Shamata have grown over the last few years. When we consider they only existed uh, at the back end of 2011, and here they are 10 years on, and now regarded as one of the leading lights of uh, the anti-trafficking movement in Mumbai. Because as you say, some girls will be more affected than others. And so... Um, the girls that have had the vocational training and the counselling from Shamata within the government homes, some of those will have recovered enough to have then gone on and just take the world on, so to speak, at that age when they leave at 18, whereas some others wouldn't be yet ready, which is why they then go into the residential. So I think the, the um, support model that Barty has set up, which, it, as Richard said, is recognised by the government homes, is doing huge amounts of work prior to 18. You know, it's, it's um, helping a lot of people before they even get to Shanta in terms of residential. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, so could we move on to the Enterprise 100 uh, project, so the specific program that you're starting, I believe, in 2021? Is that right? That's correct. So, as you said, with the three-stage model, we've got the Engage, Equip, Empower. The social enterprise initiative set up by Shamata, it's called Shamata Unlimited, uh, was, was set up 
to form part of that rehabilitation program. So it's part of the equip section of, of the program. The reason being is, as Carol said, you know, the girls leave home young and haven't been taught uh, various life skills aspects. And um, as we all know, when you want to get a job, you actually have to be able to demonstrate certain skills and abilities. And um, this was clearly lacking in, in a lot of girls, or the vast majority of them. So they set up uh, Shamatha Unlimited to start bringing girls into a work-type environment, a safe environment. And you mentioned earlier, Catherine, about there will always be some girls that will probably never make it in terms of moving into the outside world. This is part of what Enterprise 100 is about. We'll come back to that in a minute. But the idea being that <clears throat> these girls are taught um, what it's called a job readiness program, how to behave in the workplace. You, you've got to turn up on time. If you're there to make a particular thing, then you've got to make it to the right quality. You've got to make it to the right time. So the quality of the goods that um, Shamata make as part of Shamata Unlimited is, is excellent. So what they find now is that they've got third-party organisations ringing them up, asking for them, asking orders um, for them to make things. And that could be as simple, I say as simple as, I don't know, I've never sewed a sequin on a shirt, but it could be sewing sequins on a shirt. Uh, it could be making jewellery, um, sort of eco-friendly jewellery, which they do. Um, and obviously, more recently, one of the big things they've been doing recently is making COVID-19 masks. But these COVID-19 masks are made of such quality, there is a huge demand for them. The whole point of it, though, isn't around making all of that. That's not what it was set out to do. It was set out to do was to make sure the girls understood how to behave in the workplace and all the disciplines that you need to be successful in that workplace. It soon became clear that actually with the quality of the goods that they were making, that this could become something more than just part of the rehabilitation program. It will always be that, but it could also be something else. So they, when they moved to their four-storey building, they scaled up Shamata Unlimited and started um, selling the products um, out in the marketplace. And um, as a result of that, they are a non-for-profit, but nonetheless, it was bringing money in. <clears throat> so the thought with uh, ourselves and with Barty was, if we scale up again, then maybe we can get to a point where the funds that have been generated by Shamatra Unlimited go a very long way, if not go all the way, to actually fund the NGO side of the organisation. So the idea is that... Um, that we will identify a building, which has now been done. That building will be refurbished to make it safe and a nice place to work. Then move all the existing social enterprise initiatives over to that building and expand them. So far more um, sewing machines, far more jewellery making ability. Um, and then add in a new one, which is all high tech stuff, which is around 3D printing. So already some of the girls working with another uh, UK-based uh, social enterprise um, already operating in Mumbai. Girls are taught how to use computer-aided design software, you know, which is all the high-tech stuff. You know, 3D printing is, is what's, you know, what's in vogue at the moment. So as part of Enterprise 100, 
3D printing will become a just another part of that initiative. So the idea being is that you can scale up and at any one time, there'll be 100 girls going through um, the enterprise with the end game of the vast majority of those leaving the organization and going to work in, in the ordinary uh, external marketplace. But going back to the point made earlier, there will always be some girls that just couldn't cope with that prospect of going into the uh, external market. So they will become permanent employees of Shamatra Unlimited, and that provides them with a degree of independence and self-reliance, uh, but without the trauma of having to go into the market. So it is something they've done before, because they scaled from the single-storey building to the four-storey building, and it's something we want to do again. But this is a, another of the game changers. If we can get this programme funded and implemented, then this will be a massive change for Shamata. And, and for the girls, because, you know, 100 girls at any one time going through that uh, social enterprise is, is fantastic. It will just run into multiple thousands, you know, over the years. So uh, we are so excited. We are so looking forward to making it happen. I'm so sure they're ready for it because, as I said, when I visited in 2015, they were in the one-room apartment and then they have already moved to where they currently are in this four-storey building. And we did a video um, Zoom uh, meeting, uh, what do you call it, virtual tour. We did a virtual tour and it is incredible what they have done. They've been there three years now. They are so well organised. Everything is documented on each girl, you know, the progress that they're making. They have rotors on the walls in every room so that all the girls know what they're doing, what they should be doing. They've got a room full of sewing machines. They've got another room full of IT equipment where all the training is done. It's phenomenal compared to how it was initially. And they are, they, as I said, they are so well organised. I'm sure they are ready to upscale again in order to make so much more availability for more girls. And, uh, and the other thing is that even though they're focusing on tailoring, jewellery making and 3D printing, it's actually what goes on behind the scenes of all of that. So the idea is it is around time management. It is about working to time, cost and quality. It is about how you behave in, in the workplace. All of that's transferable to whatever uh, area of work you want to go into. And when you actually look at what they've achieved, that's not where people from Shamata end up. Some of them do because that's what their choice is. But they've gone into retailing. They've gone into catering. They've gone into banking. They've even gone into social media and you know even taxi driving so you know it is quite a range of uh vocations that that the girls choose and it really does open up phenomenal opportunities for them yeah teaching english is also quite high on the list which also in um that helps their options of getting better quality jobs and things and higher salaries so and, and a lot of just general IT training, which obviously is required for virtually every job these days. So they do get a wide range of training. Yeah, they're working with one. It is. I mean, they're working with one, um, I would call it a five-star hotel chain, where some of the girls go off yeah. and work in the office behind the scenes as, as an introduction to 
what life would be like in an office and then the skills that they're going to learn there, they can either stay in the hotel business or they could go off and work in another office somewhere else in the city. But it's, it's that it's not the pigeonholing of people just uh, sewing there. You know, it is a route to something much greater than that. And I'm so glad you've mentioned that because that's exactly what I was going to ask. Because I think some of, some criticism of some programs uh, is that it kind of pigeonholes, uh, especially women leaving exploitation into these sorts of industries. But something I've really seen a lot through um, the reports and the website is that the focus really is on tailoring support to women's individual interests and helping them on that pathway. And it's more about the skills and the transferability of those skills that they learn from these programs. It's not scheduling that they will always then end up in the garment industry, for example. No, absolutely not. Like I said, that they do have a room with all the IT equipment, which will teach them IT, which, as I said, they need for all school, all um, jobs, English very much so. Um, it, they're definitely. There's no pigeonholing. That, no that's pigeon the key. Holding, no. Yeah. It is life skills, uh, you know, life skills, and which you need general life skills from any job. And they are encouraged to go. And they're, they're helped, actually. They, are, they help them um, find jobs. So they, that is part of the end process, is to actually find uh, work for all the girls. And it, it certainly isn't all about sewing and tailoring, definitely not. That's where it started off. And they use that also as part of the um, counselling process as well anyway. It's a means of how they make the girls have a sense of worth and achievement and you know, and art, they use art as well as part of the counselling. You know, they, they express themselves through art to get their anger out of them in the early stages. And the stairwells are full of all this art that the girls have done. It's fabulous. So they they do have a wide range of, of um, skills. And as I said, most of the training and the skills that they are given are done as part of the rehabilitation programme to actually bring the girls back and give them the confidence and sense of achievement and things like that to empower them to have self-worth. And on a practical level, how, how does it operate? How, how many hours a day or a week would women in the program spend doing these activities? Are they paid for their time? Are they taught about sort of acceptable levels of um, conditions in, in a workplace? How does it work on a daily basis? Yeah, so I think they spend about four hours a day working, if you like, and it's very much a earn-as-you-learn process because the idea being is you want to get them used to it's, um, you know, get used to what it's like in in, in the real world. So um, part of the Enterprise 100 funding is all about paying the stipend for the girls to make sure that, you know, they are paid for the work that they do. Um but as it's part of the rehabilitation program, it certainly isn't an eight hours a day operation. It, it literally is, you know, something around four hours a day because it's part of something else that needs to be done on that particular day. Um, and yes, so they do earn and, um, you know, it's, it's what makes it work. Because when you actually go around there, when you see them, when you do the virtual tours that Carol mentioned, you can see how engaged the girls are. In, in what they're doing they clearly you you can't hide that stuff you can't mask it you can just see it on the the expression on their face they are loving what they are doing 
and they do see this as a is a as a route out breaking the poverty and abuse cycle and it really just gives them something to something to live for and they're proud of what they've achieved you know we saw the rooms where they've made bags and they've made various things and it's all hanging up and they were really proud of what they've made so it, as i said it gives them that sense of achievement of, of self-worth so they actually had an order from a US uh, designer shop in, and um, I won't mention the name, but basically they were embroidering T-shirts for this organization. And, you know, the very fact that it was a designer brand, it wasn't just a brand, it was a designer brand. So that really had to demonstrate the quality of the work, of the work that they do. And, um, and that's just gone on and on. There's a large corporate in India who's actually asked Shamita to train their own social initiative as part of their CSR programme themselves. They run a social enterprise initiative and they were so blown away by the organisation and quality of Shamita Unlimited that they've asked them to go into that organisation and train their own people to how how to run a social enterprise programme. And I think that just goes back to that word gravitas I used before. It, it It really just demonstrates how Shamita has grown uh, as a result of you know support from ourselves and uh, Kindle Spirit, but also similar organisation, you know, one particular one in Australia. So you know it's that external support that the likes of Kindle Spirit uh, has given Shamita the confidence to grow, and they have done a lot of phenomenal work themselves. Um, but between us all, we've actually managed to get there. And we just want to take one major step forward again, which is the Enterprise 100 project. And if we can get that funded and implemented, game changer number two. Absolutely. And what is the target on that program in terms of amount of funding that you'd like to reach? In round figures, it's £130,000. It's about $180,000. So we're using a variety of ways of funding that. You know, at the end of the day, you can't expect one person to write a cheque. That would be nice. There are people that could do that, but you don't often come across them, do you? So uh, we'll be using a variety of ways. Um, and, and also that will be done in India too. So, so what we will be doing is um, putting, we're using uh, an organisation called Manch, which is a uh, relatively new fundraising platform that puts, um, puts charities and, and projects such as us in touch with like-minded uh, philanthropists. So if that particular philanthropist is interested in anti-trafficking, then they can see our project sitting on the Match platform. And, you know, it's almost like a Match.com scenario, isn't it? You could actually match up the project with the, uh, with the philanthropist. And um, so our project went live on that platform yesterday. So we're very excited about that. Um, we've got... Uh, one of our colleagues is actually running the Brighton Marathon in September. So, and there would be other people that do things like that. So he, his name is Ian Hucker. He he has got a, a funding page on Just Giving, and um, we already have our donation page on our website. Um, and we'll be we'll be doing what charities are good at, which is writing to like-minded trusts and foundations to see if they can contribute to the project. And a similar activity will be happening in India. Um, there's a fundraising platform in India called Give India. So the Enterprise 100 project will be launched on that too. And, um, you know, and we're, we're hoping that through social media and through podcasts like yourself and 
other forms of communication, we really can get the, the message out there that what is, you know, in the in real world, £130,000 is not a lot when you consider the number of lives it puts back together again. And I think that's very much the key message. It's the fact that uh, a little bit of money goes a, a very long way. And when you're dealing with individual people whose lives have been shattered, which can then be rebuilt and they can go on and lead these wonderfully independent, happy, confident, brimming with um, confidence and self-esteem, then why wouldn't you do it? And if it makes them self-sufficient as well, then it's that's job done, isn't it? So it would be great. But I think people can get creative with how they raise funds. I think, you know, instead of taking your unwanted clothing down to a charity shop, why not sell it online and then donate the, the proceeds and, you know, get get in touch with the schools and have cake sales and request it to be, a, you know, a chosen charity, Kindled Spirit. There's lots and lots of ways. And, and if lots of people do little things, then we can get there. On our website, you will see that we're um, registered with Amazon Smile, Give As You Live, because COVID-19, we know, has had a huge effect on the world and more and more people are shopping online. And um, so, you know, we're able to tap into that because if people register with Amazon Smile, if they register with eBay, if they register with Give As You Live, every time they shop, the retailer donates to, to our charity. So that way, it doesn't cost them a penny. It literally is a free way of donating because it's actually the retailer organisation that makes the contribution to the charity. So, you know, we encourage people to, to sign up to that too. All the details are there on our website. Of course. And we can include the details of, of Give As You Live and, and these other things in the show notes as Great well. Stuff. Thank you. Um, so that we can share that. Thank you. That is all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for coming on this podcast and sharing the really incredible work that you're doing. It's been great to hear about it. Well, thank you very much for having us. And it, and it is opportunities like this that will make the project a success. So we really do appreciate your time too. No, not at all. Great to hear about it. How can people get in touch if they'd like to find out more? So our website is www.kindledspirit.org.uk. Um, our contact email address is info at kindledspirit.co.uk. Um, those are the two uh, easy ways of getting in touch with us. Um, and on, on the website, you will see ways to sign up to Amazon Smile to donate directly through Virgin Money Giving. We'd also uh, be putting a newsletter out any day now, which will have a lot more detail around, around the project. Um, with your permission, we'll load the podcast onto our website too. And um, we're hoping over the next few months, we've already talked about Ian, who's going to be running the marathon. We're hoping that people will get in contact with us to do those those things that can actually make a difference. You know, the more people that go out and run marathons or, as Carol says, sell their clothes and donate to us or whatever it is they choose to do, um, you know, all of those things add up. And, um, you know, £130,000 is what we're trying to get to. And if we can spread the load over many people, over two countries, maybe we can get there. Well, hopefully we will. Absolutely. Fingers crossed for you. Thank you so much. Thanks again for, for being here. And thank you also to the listeners and the viewers. Until the next time, goodbye. 
Thanks again, Carol and Richard. Thanks also to you for listening. All the links to information about the work featured in this episode are in the show notes. Find us on Twitter at Actions Podcast. You can watch the video recording of this discussion on our YouTube channel. The link is also in the show notes. To get in touch or to suggest a topic to be featured in an episode, either direct message us on Twitter or alternatively email actionspodcast at gmail.com. Subscribe wherever you download your podcasts and feel free to leave a review. You've been listening to Actions, Responses to Trafficking podcast. Music used in this episode is Inspiration, written by Rayful Crux and sourced from freepd.com. Actions is produced and presented by Catherine Baldacchino.